0: It is awesome to see everyone this morning, um, and as you can tell by the name tags, which is something we don't normally do, but we are starting today our three weeks of diving into our Discovering Grace material, kind of the foundational material of what makes us Grace Church, our practices, our ethos, our um, the way that we approach Scripture—all of that—we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. And so it's a very serious time for us to reorient. It's a very serious time for us to reacquaint ourselves not only with our purpose, but with each other, thus the name tags this morning. Part of that practice that we have is centering our statement of faith, or what we believe, around the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed has been used by the church for over 1,500 years. In a variety of contexts, denominations, expressions, languages, and it has withstood the test of time. And this is this is what we center in on and we say this is our this is our um, one thing that we hold that we will not argue over or we will not consider changing in a way. Like this is this is part of the reflection that we choose to say hey this is this is what we hold um, as essential, everything else we practice, we'll talk more about that as we go. But we're going to recite this together uh, over the next three weeks, just as a way of refamiliarizing ourselves with it. So if you would stand with me, please, and read this as we begin, to bring our attention, our presence here into this place. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the holy spirit of the virgin mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under pontius pilate i think the slides are slow in catching up today it's not jordan i'm sure it's the program it's taking a minute it will switch here Yeah. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look to the, for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you for being here this morning. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the, the teaching elder. I am the teaching elder here at Grace Church, facilitating that team, that part of our ministry. And I had... I had an experience last summer, it's great, Um, we have a visitor with us, Jenna, who went on the trip as we went out this summer, and we made a change from the previous year when I took the kids out to California and then down to Mexico to build a house. We found out that the year before, we were constantly running into the frustration of using GPS. How many of you depend on GPS to get places, right? I mean, it's become ubiquitous in, in our culture, you just... You don't even give instructions anymore, right? You just give an address, and then you plug it into your phone and you go. Well, they're doing research on this, which backs up something that I've found in my experience to be true, that it's actually shrinking part of our brain using GPS. We're losing the ability to navigate on our own. When we're constantly just following step-by-step instructions, what we do is it it loses our imagination for the big, bigger picture. All we can see is the thing directly in front of us. And so what would happen is we would be going to a campsite somewhere up in the mountains and we'd be following GPS, and as soon as we get in the mountain, what happens? You lose signal, right? Well, without a bigger picture, without a map, you're literally lost. You don't know where you are, and you don't know how to get to where you're going. So this year on our trip, I bought two big atlases. I haven't bought an atlas in forever, right? And we would sit together in the mornings, the drivers, Danny and I and the, and the other staff, we'd get together and we'd, and we'd look at the map. And yeah, we'd use our GPS to kind of make sure we were on the right way. It wasn't that we didn't use it at all, but our primary source of information was the atlas, was the map. Well. That's what we're going to do these next three weeks, is we're going to back up and we're going to look at the map. We're going to look at the big picture. Because we get so caught up in the details of, well, what's the next step? What's the next thing we have to do? Immediately we feel the urgency of, where do I turn? How do I get there? Am I, how far is it? How much longer is it going to take? Is it the best route? And we lose picture of the bigger picture of, hey, why are we here? Where are we in the first place? How are we going to get there? So pray with me as we start this today. God, thank you for gathering us, bringing us here together, being in us, among us, working through us. And God, we pray that we experience God the Holy Spirit who is here. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to love and obey everything that the Spirit, that God the Holy Spirit leads us into. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I've had this on the schedule for months now, that we were going to break down our Discovering Grace material and go through it bit by bit. And even this week in planning, and we planned things together as a teaching team, um, the teaching doc was up and we were making comments on it and how we were going to do it. But I got to tell you, I'm going to go rogue this morning. So teaching team. Gonna be a little bit different. As I was preparing to do this, it struck me that doing that without knowing where we're going ultimately is pretty futile. That talking about the nuts and bolts, talking about the practices and things, without really understanding first, without taking one step back and going, Hey, hold up. Why church in the first place? Well, then talking about what kind of church. It doesn't make any sense. If we don't really understand first what church is, what it's about, then it really doesn't matter what we think about what kind of church we're going to be because it'll be just driven by our whims. It'll be driven by our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own wants, our own habits and prejudices, our own culture, our own limitations, our own experiences. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to back up a little bit. And we're going to ask the question, why church? Because I don't know about y'all, but I have consistent conversations with people that ends in something like this. I love Jesus, but not the church. I'm spiritual, but not religious. I have my relationship with God, but I don't need the church. Or we do church at home. We just do our own kind of thing with that. Anybody else? Am I the only one? has those kind of conversations. And I get it. Listen, I get it. I understand it. Church is hard. Church is difficult. When you really get down to it, not on the superficial, when you really dig in and make it part of what you're doing, it's not easy. But I'm here to tell you today, it is absolutely worth it. So why does the church... Exist. Ryan Jackson gave us a hint of this Actually he gave us more than a hint last week As he did a great job teaching in the book of Acts And what we've learned all through Acts this summer Is that God has a purpose in the church And it is God's purpose That the church exists not just to meet our needs But the needs of others So let's look for a minute as we start What the church is not Well first of all we see that the church does not exist for us. Although we are invited to be part of it, although we can't exist without it as faithful followers, in the long term you're not going to make it without the church, the church isn't for us. And it's not something we create for God. The church is not something we create for God. Although we're invited to bring our whole selves to it, all of our creativity, all of our experience, everything to it, It's not something we create and then give to God. And here's maybe the most sobering one. The church does not exist to meet our needs. Now we're going to talk about this. But the church isn't here to make us comfortable, us happy, meet our needs. Now, let me be quick to say, all of our needs are often met through the church. uh, But that's a byproduct. The church does not exist to meet our needs. Also, the church is not an instrument for enforcing the mores and customs of any society or class or culture, nationality or nation. The church is in the world, but it is not of the world. The church here is not to bless or baptize our affections, affiliations and allegiances in this world. That's not what the church is here for. The church is not subservient to culture, to the world with that. So it's not here for us. It's not something we create. It's not here to meet our needs, and it's not here just to maintain the status quo. Well, then, what's it for? What is the church for? Well, here's kind of where language breaks down. Here's kind of where that direct description breaks down. And what we find time and time again in the Bible is that when asked the question or, or, or asked to describe what the church is, it just goes to metaphor. Like it goes straight to metaphor. They don't, they, it doesn't give us a textbook or a dictionary definition, but it gives us metaphors. The first one is the bride. The Bible talks about the church being The bride of Christ. And again, as we understand these metaphors, as we let them sink into us, we start to understand these things. We start to understand what the church is and what the church is not. But especially in the culture in which this was written, the bride existed for the husband. The bride was there to complement And to be with, be that partner with the husband who is Jesus, who is God in this. The next metaphor they use is of the body. Something that we are all being put together. None of us is sufficient in and of ourselves apart from the body. We see this time and time, this metaphor used time and time again throughout the word is that the church is to be the body of Christ the instrument for God to work through to dwell in to work through we also see that the church is the dwelling similar to the body but different it's a it's a different metaphor with that sometimes it says temple sometimes it says house but it is to be the place where God is experienced where God is welcomed where God is the head the church is to be the place where God rules The dwelling, the place where people encounter God. The church is also described as a family. Now, this might be one of the hardest single ones because we understand from the gospel that the gospel breaks down all barriers race, gender, nationality, class, all those things that we're all one family. And it's one thing to be friends with somebody, it's one thing to be an acquaintance with somebody, it's another thing altogether. To be a sister or a brother to someone. That implies a relational bond that is to transcend the things that break apart other relationships. The church is referred to as a family. And the last thing is the church is a mystery. You see, ultimately... When we admit, when we begin to see we're not in control, the church is here not for us, but for God. We are left searching for metaphors. It it defies definitions. It defies nailing down in absolute terms what it is. The church is alive. The church is a mystery. John talks about how how God hid things until the church came into being, and now through the church, that mystery is being revealed. Y'all, we we are a mystery, and we are also unveiling a mystery as the church. Ultimately, I think the church exists because it is the very best way for God to make God's self-known. So God's purposes can be accomplished, and so God's glory can be experienced. The church is the agent for ushering in the kingdom of God. We are to be the proclaimers and the models. We are to be the beta test, if you will, of the kingdom, where we are living it out, acting it out. The church exists for God's delight. For God's happiness. And praise God when that lines up with ours. Praise God when what makes God happy makes us happy. But when it doesn't, when that doesn't line up, when it makes us uncomfortable or requires sacrifice, then the default always has to be to God, not to us. And the church is for, like I said, God's kingdom. The church is also God's people and all people. But especially, especially the church is for the poor, for the outcast, for the disabled and the disenfranchised, the oppressed and the unclean, the refugee, the orphan, the widow, and the other. It is the undeniable telos or trajectory or emphasis of Scripture that when God's kingdom comes in and the church ushers that in, the things that prop up privilege and prosperity at the expense of others are cast down. That it's actually reversed. We talk about this all the time at Grace about how it upends, the kingdom of God upends things. So the people who were once not a people are now a people. The people who were previously judged as unworthy or unclean are now actually honored. Y'all, the church is for everybody. But it is especially for those who have no hope anywhere else. Who have been held down, enslaved, oppressed, abused, marginalized, left out. The church is for them. Because that is the expression of the kingdom of God. So understanding that, then we can now, now we can deal with, well, what about us? What about Grace Church? What do we do? Well, in the learning guide this week, you're going to see parts of our Discovering Grace material. I'm not going to stand here and read it to you this morning. But it is critical that you read that material, that you engage with it, that you pray, that you ask your questions, you bring your your questions and your thoughts and your ideas to that. In your individual study, in your grace group study, in your one-on-one conversations, engage that material. What you're going to find is that here at Grace, in attempting to be the church as we feel God has called the church to be, we are Christocentric. That means we put Christ at the center of everything. That we understand we have, a, we have what's called a Christological hermeneutic, which means we understand, we interpret Scripture through the lens of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we are Christocentric in our practice in that we are constantly seeking to let Jesus be the head of the church. He already is. We just need to let him be the head of the church, not get in the way with that. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. This was one of the first hymns of the early church. This is what they would sing, what they would repeat. I can imagine that a group of believers like we studied with Cornelius and the the Romans who came to Christ, and they said, well, what do we do? How do we worship? What do we do? That, That Peter probably said, hey, repeat after me these words. This is our song. This is our hymn. Said, he is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, Whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood on the cross through him whether things on earth or things in heaven so we are christocentric that's this is our ethos this is the spirit that is to permeate it and listen y'all when i say all these things you have to understand they are both true and they are both not true not true in the sense that they are still aspirational we don't do this perfect we don't always get it right We continually come up short. We continually forget our way. But these are the things that we orient to. This is is the song that we have to keep coming back to sing, in a way, when we get off course with that. So we are Christocentric. Also, we are Scripture-soaked and theologically disciplined. We seek to permeate Scripture through everything that we do. We don't worship the Bible. Jesus is above the Bible. But we also understand that there is a place for Scripture that has to be in our lives and in our body among our members. We have to be constantly engaged in dialogue with Scripture, reading it and letting it read us. That we want biblically soaked imaginations Active gospel imaginations informed by the words and informed by the interactions we have with those who are in the word. Brothers and sisters who have gone before us, the church before us, to read their stories and let it ask us questions as we ask it questions. It's not a one-way street. Our relationship with Scripture is not just us using it to our ends, but it is it also reading us with that. And we're theologically disciplined in that we keep Christ at the center. We don't chase after whatever theological fad is going on at the time. We limit our doctrinal statement, as we said, to the Nicene Creed. Everything else is up for practice. And we do have strong practices here. We're going to talk about those. But none of those rises to the level of Christ being the head with that. And again, aspirationally, we want to be spirit-infused in everything that we do. As we learn from Acts, our study of Acts, and as we've honestly just learned from life, without the abiding presence of God the Holy Spirit leading and guiding, convicting, encouraging us, we have zero hope. I just want... Listen... If this church is all about following a God who stopped speaking at the end of the book of Revelation, and it's been left to us just to figure it out, y'all, I'm not up. I'm done. I'm, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know who could do that. That we're just supposed to carry on traditions and things that, that God stopped speaking 2,000 years ago? And we're just supposed to kind of figure it out from then on and then maybe take a test at the end, to see if we got it right or not? What kind of hope is that? What kind of practice would that involve? No, if, if we're not spirit-infused here, if we're not constantly laying all of our thoughts, all of our, all of our dreams, all of our imaginations, all of the ways we do things, our habits and everything, and saying, Holy Spirit, please guide me cuz I cannot do this alone. We cannot do this alone. What hope do we have? We need to be prayer saturated. We do pray here, we don't pray enough. And I don't say that in a shameful way. I don't say that in a shame like try harder. Come on, guys. We just got to try harder on the on the prayer thing. No, I'm saying that it needs to develop. It's like a muscle that we need to develop. We're weak in that area. I'm weak in that area. It is something that needs to be a profound mark of us as a church. Along with that, we need to be worshiping, communion-centered. We need to come in here to, to worship together, but also to go out in the spirit of worship. Centered around doing, following the command of Jesus to come together at the table where everyone is equal and everyone is welcome to be reminded to receive the grace that that demonstrates so that it becomes central to our lives so that get to the point where when we miss it it's like missing a, a literal meal. We hunger for it when we don't have it with that. Now, as I said... These are aspirational to be sure. We're not there yet. And, and in some ways we'll never get there. I get that. But we just because we'll never perfect it doesn't mean we can stop moving forward towards it with that. It's interesting. Um, the comments and the feedbacks that you get when you're charged as as we are with the teaching team and getting up regularly one of the one of the things that uh that has been brought to my attention recently is the question well okay so so you know grace church you do your teaching this way and you follow this you know this narrative lectionary and then you you take summers and you go through this but what about the hard passages you know what about what about the hard passages? Are you really going to tackle the the hard things in Scripture? Are you going to tackle those unpopular things? And <laughs> my response is, um, what's harder than this? I mean, seriously, what is harder than this? What is harder than the idea? of becoming a body of people, a church who are knit together, loving one another, people who we might not even say hi to on the church, on the street otherwise. People that we don't choose because we're all in the same club, or we like the same kind of music or, or anything else like like literally being knit together as people who otherwise, would ignore or be at each other's throats, would be enemies. People with profoundly different outlooks, ways of life, ways of making a living, and experiences, coming together as a church. Y'all, loving one another, Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. I don't know of anything more difficult than that. Maybe y'all got it figured out. But it's hard for me. As a matter of fact, I, I can't do it in my own strength. You want to talk about hard? Hard is this. Hard is we don't get to make church in our image. But the church is being made in God's. We don't get to make church easy for us. We don't get to make it in our image. We don't get to decide who's in and who's out. This is God's church. We don't get to decide to only believe what's comfortable to us, what fits our preferences or prejudices or culture or comfort. This is God's church. We don't get to withhold our affection or our allegiance or affiliation when things don't go our way or we don't understand or we're too busy or whatever because there is no plan B. There is only the church. And when the church becomes about us, which is the eternal temptation, is to make the church about us, there is nothing for it to do but to crack, to split, to fester, and to rot. Now, what we do get to decide is if we are in or if we are out. It's not a chain gang. God's not recruiting slaves, not indenturing servants. We all get to decide. God does not force the church on us. As essential as it is to our being as a follower of Jesus, it is always a choice for us whether we're going to be in or out. It's not a question of your eternal salvation, but it is definitely a question of your flourishing here, your experience of the fullness of life that is offered in Jesus. If we are willing to submit everything to God and humbly walk alongside other broken, imperfect, messed up, but still being redeemed people, we get to choose that. We get to decide if we are going to be humble, to listen, to sacrifice. We get to decide if we are going to take hurt and return blessing. We get to decide if we are going to be accused and slandered and then return forgiveness and grace. We get to decide if we are going to take constantly being misunderstood and ignored and return patience and peace. And that's hard enough, but there's more. We also get to decide if we are going to let other people extend grace to us. Because, y'all, it is hard to give grace to people that we don't agree with, that have offended us, that have hurt us. That's hard. But let me tell you what's more difficult. Is receiving grace from them. There is nothing more offensive to the competent, to the talented, to the gifted, than receiving grace. As a matter of fact, it's so hard, you need grace to receive grace. I don't even know how it works. But receiving grace from people that we are odds at, at odds with, don't have natural inclinations to butt heads with all the time. Y'all, that's hard. That is a supernatural thing when that happens. The church does not exist for its own sake or for our sake, but for the sake of God. Grace Church does not exist for its own sake or for our sake, but for the sake of God. The church is the means to God's end, not ours. If people can't find God in this church, then what are we doing here? I mean, seriously, y'all, as we talk about the form, we're, you know, it's good. We're going to talk about practices and how we form and how we, how we do things. But look, if ultimately, people can't find God here, why? Why? Why do it? You think because they need to come see a nice orderly place with good, clean programs and, you know, decent music and, like, come on, y'all. I mean, I love our worship. Like, I love I love our music here, but I just got a new paddleboard. I want to be on the lake. If, it's, if, if that's all we're doing, if people can't find God here Let them go somewhere else. As a matter of fact, let's all go somewhere else. Let's all go find God somewhere else if God isn't here. But that's what the church is. That is what we are being called to do. If the most broken and messed up, confused and conflicted, addicted or arrogant, proud and self-satisfied can't find hope that there is more to life than what the world offers, We are a bunch of fools. If they can't find it here, if that's not what we're about, we're foolish. We're just fools who deserve only pity and scorn. Friends, look, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Do we really understand what we're part of here? Because again, if we don't understand what we're part of, it doesn't matter how we organize ourselves. It doesn't matter what you know how we divvy up the kids and and how long the worship goes and and whether we take community, like like if we don't understand why we're here, none of that other stuff matters. It just doesn't matter. So these next three weeks. Let's take that time to really remember, to really consider, to really look in, why, why church? And we'll ask, why grace? Why, why grace church? Why we do this? But, but it has to be built on this idea of why church. What we are given here to serve and to lead this church, to nurture and be part of, is the only thing that will last The relationships that formed of it, the work that we do in the name of Christ for Jesus, powered by Jesus, is the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that will overcome the absolute certain destruction that awaits us without God and God's kingdom. Let's hold this image, this map. Let's turn our GPSs off for a minute. Let's look at the map of where we're going, While we're going there, hold it in the forefront of our minds. If we do that, I think we have a hope of finding our way. We're going to transition now into our time of reflection. Uh, Again, one of the things we practice here at Grace Church is don't believe me just because I've got the microphone. Test it out. Talk about it. Back it up. But do that. Reflect on it. Also act on it. This is not a lecture where we are delivering your information. This is a response to the leading of God, the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, probably most of the times, there's going to be stuff you need to do. There's stuff I need to do. Commit to that now. Write it down if you have to. But commit to what you need to do in response to this time here today. Make it your intention to follow through and act on that you need someone to pray with you, this is a great time to do that. Find someone you trust to pray. We take up an offering here. We do the offering as symbol, symbolic that no one here is without something to give and no one here is without a need. So we share the needs. And then we take communion because this is one of our anchors. This is the place we physically, tangibly enact what we say we believe. We come to the table to let Jesus serve us what we cannot serve ourselves. We come to the table to let Jesus do for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves or for each other. And we receive, we receive grace. Grace that we don't deserve. Sometimes grace that we don't want. But grace that we desperately need. So we come to the table. We're going to ask everybody to come up to take the elements, to hold them, to sit close. We'll sing a song together and then we'll all take the elements together. This table is open to everyone who is seeking Jesus. Everyone who Jesus is calling. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to commit to something beyond yourself. To something eternal. To something true.
1: treasure you found I-
0: As the team gets served, let's consider those words that Jesus told his disciples on the last night before he was arrested. He said, this is my body. And he invited them to the table where he rightfully should have been served but he served he said it is broken for you he said this is my blood poured out as a new covenant one that does away with every barrier every obstacle every obstacle except ourselves our own willingness to receive it he said here it is take it Eat it. Drink it. So take.
1: stand with me for this last song. In you, Lord.
0: Buddy, you can take a seat real quick. Thank you. Thank you, Bailey. Thank you all. Um, I'm going to invite the Covenant family up here. As much as I hate to do this, I am going to send them to Slovenia. Uh, actually, they chose to go there. Um, they are leaving us for a year of sabbatical in Slovenia where they have lived uh, previously. So it's going back to a familiar thing. But they're going to be gone for a whole year. So maybe get a couple people come up and help me. Um, pray for them as they go. That this will be an encouraging, a restful time. That they'll find fellowship there. And um, come back to us, please. So... <laughs> God, thank you for our friends. Thank you for what this family means to us as a church, what they bring to us. God, we're going to miss them. So we send them as their church family under your grace, by your mercy, to be renewed and restored, to learn and to grow individually and as a family. We pray that they would find fellowship of believers there. Declare your glory. God, that you would provide everything that they need. Health, community, finances, everything, a place to live. And God, bring them back to us, we ask. Safe, whole, encouraged, renewed. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Just one quick announcement before the benediction. We will have a Grace Church cookout on September 8th, so more details to come. Just make sure and mark your calendar for that so you don't miss out on it, and then we will announce more details about the time and how to volunteer and what to bring, if anything, so just make sure you're there September 8th. And now for the benediction. Grace Church, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.